0: Theology of the Body Institute. This is
1: the Ask Christopher West podcast. Hello, podcast listeners.
0: Hey, everybody. We're happy to be with you for another episode.
1: Yes, we are. And we've been working away here in this strangely somewhat cold spring in Pennsylvania. But yesterday you had a neat adventure and i thought I our did. listeners would be interested in what i i think they will be interested it's really a, an unusual experience yeah
0: we took a little trip we being my our my son our son why did i say my son <laughs> it's fine i forgot i was talking to my wife <laughs> our son and i went to visit the artist you may have heard of him he's a fairly well known catholic artist named donny that's like tony with a d Donny McManus. He's an Irish guy, but he's living uh, in Arlington, Virginia now, and he's just two hours from where we live. I've known of his work over the years, and I know he's been inspired deeply by the theology of the body and how that has informed his work. Wow. But I've not had a chance to to meet him personally. We've talked on the phone, and he's helping us with our project right now on the Carol Voitiwa retreat to artists, which I know we've mentioned on previous podcasts, but we're really excited about this at the Institute. We're yeah. publishing on the feast day of John Paul II this year, October 22nd, 2021. We are going to be publishing for the first time ever in the English language, a retreat that Carol Voitiwa gave to artists in 1962. And Doni McManus did an interview for us that's going to be part of this retreat. And he invited me and Thomas, our son, down to his studio in Arlington, Virginia, and we had a great conversation with him. He gave us a tour of his studio. He showed us a crucifix that he's working on for a a commission from a a Catholic parish. And And he's a
1: sculptor. He's a
0: sculptor, right. And he has a, a brilliant artistic insight into the human body and how the body reveals the divine Mystery. In fact, he credits Theology of the Body with really saving his art career. He was being trained in the New York Academy of the Arts, I believe that's what it's called, in New York City, and was with some of the best artists from around the world, secular training, and they were studying the human body. And he said these artists knew everything about the body except what it means. Mm. And he was discovering John Paul's Theology of the Body for the first time. This was in the late 90s, early 2000s. And he was starting to bring this into his art, and these other art students were fascinated because they could see in his art that he was doing something different. And they began a discussion group on the theology of the body on Friday nights, and they would start at 8 p.m., and sometimes sometimes they'd go till 3 in the morning. And he saw people coming into the church. Uh, He went on to form two different art schools, one in Ireland, one in Italy, and these secular artists who were coming to be trained by him, there were several people who were baptized because of his his art ah. opened their hearts to the how the divine is communicated yep. through the human body.
1: There's so much I can take away from that. So much hope that the gifts that the Lord has given, his life is in his gifts. He wants it to reach other people, even if it's not a gift of necessarily being, you know, a teacher of the faith in a direct way, here he's using his gifts of art, and indirectly through that gift, it's reaching the hearts of people to be converted and to come to the Lord. And yeah. That's
0: and, beautiful. And even, even the direct teaching of the theology of the body that he's doing with these students, I mean, he's, he's very direct about it. He's mm-hmm. he said, this is John Paul II's teaching, this is the Catholic Church's vision of what the human being is and what the human body is, and these artists who already have a great appreciation for the beauty of the human body, you know, every culture on planet Earth, its artists know that to master the human form Mm. is essential to be a good artist. But illuminating why they're so attracted to the body Mm -hmm. is is what has opened the eyes of many of his students. To the Catholic faith, really awesome evangelizing through the beauty of the body. Guess what? There's no other way to evangelize, (laughs) because what we are evangel—what do we mean when we say we're evangelists or we're trying to evangelize? We're trying to bring people to the mystery of God through the body of Christ, as John Paul II says: "The body, and only the body, is capable of revealing to us the mystery of the divine." This is our faith. This is Christianity. If we're looking for a a spirituality that doesn't involve our bodies, it's no longer Christian spirituality. It's some kind of Gnostic, Manichean, Puritanical spirituality that is really antithetical to what Christianity is. Ours is the faith of the incarnation at the source and summit of everything we believe. Mm. Is the body of Christ given up for us, in fact, we're, we're doing a new series, this is reminding me, I wasn't even planning on talking about this, but we just launched a new series on the YouTube channel, you can go to Christopher West YouTube channel, uh, and the new series is called The Faith from A to Z with the help of the TOB, mm. which is a guided reading of the CCC. Uh- <laughs> Catechism of the Catholic Church, for those who don't know what I'm talking about, and TOB is Theology of the Body, for those who may not know what we're talking about. And the point of this new series on our YouTube channel is to demonstrate that Theology of the Body is not just a teaching about sex and married love. It is that. But through that lens, we come to see the whole reality of our faith as the bridegroom giving up his body for the bride, Christ loving the Church. That's our faith. That's what it's all about.
1: Why don't I share a question from one of our patrons? Speaking. Okay. Okay.
0: And for those who might be new to the podcast, this is something we've been doing for the last several episodes. We begin with a question from our patrons. If you are interested in getting your question up the ranks in terms of possibility of being answered, Mm -hmm. you might want to consider becoming a patron of the work of the Theology of the Body Institute. Your monthly gift, as little as $10 a month, goes a long way to help us fulfill our mission, and we give lots of exclusive formation and benefits to our patrons. So check out the link in the show notes to learn more about becoming a patron.
1: Mm. Here is an anonymous question. There's a documentary that was recently added to Netflix called Strip Down, Rise Up. I've not seen it, but from what I've read, it's about a group of women who take pole dancing class to, quote, reclaim their sexuality and to heal from wounds of their past. Can a woman morally learn to pole dance if her intentions are good?
0: Whoa, wow. Um, I mean, pole dancing, as soon as I hear the phrase pole dancing, it throws me right into a pornographic category. Uh, I I don't know how to think of pole dancing other than, you know, the striptease idea, the the pornographic portrayal of the body, um, I would be very concerned that someone who would be wanting to learn how to pole dance would be going in with that mentality. Mm-hmm. Uh, that said, is there anything in and of itself wrong about dancing with a pole? Well, nothing in and of itself, but can you really strip it down to have it be in and of itself? the The pole has an association the pole dance, the very term, has an association, and that's a pornographic association. I I do want to comment here, though, that the the quote that comes to my mind uh, is from St. Augustine, and he says, those who are lost in their passions are less lost than those who have lost their passions. And so there may be some semblance, and the key word here is semblance— of a a reclaiming of a repressed wounded sexuality in these women who are doing these dances uh, these pole dances there there could be a, a semblance of some kind of reclaiming but it would be a, a it would be it would be the analogy i often use that eating fast food is better than starving to death because there's some semblance of satisfaction but both will kill you right? In the end, you can die from starvation, but you can also die from food poisoning. There is a banquet out there that truly satisfies the hunger. And I would just say this is a misguided attempt to to satisfy a genuine need or to heal a real wound. This is a misguided attempt.
1: Yeah, I think I, that's kind of what's striking me as well. And just that our patron submitted this question, I think what is kind of alerting when you hear of this is wow if these people are wounded then that must take a certain courage to go to a class like that and and we kind of admire the courage and the effort to be healed yes yes but like you said misguided so yes we see the good and that's so common in our cultures, like well, not just that we see it, but the people participating. They're longing for yes. a good, but their their sexuality isn't being oriented toward knowing that they are a beautiful gift from God and meant to be a gift to a man who would receive and love them. It, instead of orienting it that way, there's this disorientation of sexuality that certainly might take a lot of courage and there might be Like some elements of goodness in the person's heart or mind or memories, but ultimately it's not leading them anywhere truly good.
0: Yeah, just like pornography is not really an answer to Puritanism. You know, Hugh Hefner said in 1953 when he started Playboy Magazine, he said, I started this magazine as my personal response to the hurt and hypocrisy of Puritanism in my strict Christian upbringing. And he just flipped the puritanical pancake over and he he led he went from one degradation of the body which is body bad that's evil uh, repress 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 and he just flipped that over and led us into another evil which is just indulge in your disordered passions mm-hmm. there is a true healing there is a true redemption which is in and through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ Christ came in the flesh to redeem our flesh. Christianity, as I was saying at the start of the program today, Christianity is not a demonization of the body, it's a glorification, a even a divinization of the body. Christianity is not salvation from the flesh, it is salvation of the flesh. That was a common refrain of the Church Fathers in trying to fight this this Manichaean, and Manichaeism is a heresy that says, spirit good, body bad. The fathers of the Church fought Manichaeism and Gnosticism, another heresy that degraded the body, by saying Christianity is not salvation from the flesh, it is salvation of the flesh. Christ is the Redeemer of the body, St. Paul says in his letter to the Ephesians, and in his letter to the Romans, he says, summing up all of Christianity he says it is the redemption of our bodies what these women are really looking for is the redemption of the body the redemption of the sexual of their sexuality that Christ can truly offer them they're taking that genuine desire i would say in a, in a misguided direction
1: mm-hmm. yeah our second question is from Seth hello Seth Seth asks when is using nfp to avoid pregnancy licit? And when is it being used with a contraceptive attitude? It seems there's no clear answer. Some Catholics say it must be a grave situation, such as losing your job or a medical reason, while some say it's fine to use NFP to avoid pregnancy for the first few years of marriage to enjoy your time together before having kids, or simply to space children to the ideal two to three years. I imagine the answer is somewhere in the middle, but where do we draw the line?
0: This is a great question, Seth. It's one I've answered over the years many, many times, and I think the Catechism has the best wording here. The Catechism says, for just reasons, spouses may wish to space their children or even avoid uh, another birth for an indeterminate period. The key word is just. Just is different than than grave. Uh, It's not like you have to be on your deathbed A just reason could be a financial reason, it could be a health reason, it could be an emotional reason, it could be that you have five kids under the age of seven and you need a break. Those could all be very just reasons for avoiding a child. But the Church is also very wise in not spelling this out. John Paul II says, "...it is up to the responsible discernment of the couple themselves to make this decision." And no one can make that decision for them. He says this is integral to really living responsible parenthood. That means we have to—responsible parenthood means we, the couple, have to take the responsibility for the discernment. Not the Catholic family down the street. They don't make the discernment for you. Not your parish priest. He doesn't make the discernment for you. Not the Pope. He doesn't make the discernment for you, Uh, nor— does anyone make the discernment for you? You and you alone, before God, are responsible for making the discernment as to whether or not you have a just reason to avoid a child. And I, I think a good measure here is, in each and every time a husband and wife are coming together in the marital embrace, are they being motivated by selfishness? Or in abstaining, are they being motivated by selfishness? And what do I mean? How could one be motivated by selfishness and abstaining? Well, one could be motivated by selfishness and abstaining when one doesn't have a just reason, but is selfishly not wanting to bring another life into the world. Uh, they're not contracepting, and that's good. Uh, they have to gain self mastery in abstaining, and that's good but you could abstain for the wrong reasons, just as you could engage in the marital embrace for the wrong reason. Is your wife pregnant because you were being selfish? Did she really need a break because you already have however many children under a certain age and she's wigged out? I I know of many examples in married life where the reason the husband and wife keep having children is because they can't gain the self-control not to. That's not being motivated by love. Uh, that's that's a certain selfishness. Now, of course, God blesses those children, and God works through all of that. He works with our humanity, but we are called responsibly to discern before the Lord, as a husband and a wife, do we have a serious reason, a just reason, an appropriate reason? Those would all be fitting words to describe uh, what what the church is asking of us. Mm. Wendy, what light do you have to shine on this?
1: Yes, it's a it's a question to which we both can relate, I sure. think. That it's a question that one matures with over time. Like so many issues requiring responsibility, we don't just suddenly wake up one morning feeling clear about how to accomplish all that we're responsible to do, and I can certainly relate to early in our marriage kind of thinking a lot about this question. Well, if I were to conceive, what would that mean for us, considering other circumstances? I I mean, obviously, ultimately, if we conceive, we're going to receive the child and make all the necessary sacrifices. And yet, how do we figure out if that's what we're called to? So mm-hmm. I can relate very much to people wondering about this and also In that process of trying to figure it out, sometimes we ask other people's opinion, or sometimes people offer their opinion, and that can add to some confusion as well. You know, when others maybe are kind of making strong statements, they feel passionately about one reason or another, and it can be an overwhelming situation. And I I can relate to that, and I feel like we kind of grew into that responsibility, and the Lord has taken care of us. Um, that probably situations in which we thought we probably have no reason to avoid a pregnancy at one stage of our life, at another stage of life, we might view that differently and say, I think we're pretty clear we do have reason to avoid a pregnancy. And it came partly with knowing ourselves more um, and knowing God's purposes for each of our lives, our gifts and limitations, all of that just came in time, in relationship with one another and the Lord. So I just want to encourage all listeners who are struggling with this question, it can be frustrating that nobody just has, here's the one answer, don't worry about it anymore. And yet, just to ask you to invite the Lord's grace and mercy into your heart as you look at these things, to not feel that you have to get this perfectly right Um, because you're growing in your understanding of what the Lord is doing in your life and in your relationship. And um, I just think I want to give that perspective that we grow. It is our responsibility. We do learn together how to exercise that responsibility, and we need to pray for one another much more than, you know, judge one another.
0: Sometimes we we don't want to take the moral responsibility. We don't want that responsibility on our shoulders. And Sometimes that can be why we wish the church would spell these things out a little more clearly, so I don't have to enter into the the difficult work of discernment. And it is difficult. We've had to to go through difficulties in our own discernment. I'm just remembering something within the last, I don't know, was it six months ago that I was feeling this might be the last chance (laughs) to have another—you know, you're 48, I'm 51, we're pushing it, we're on the outer limits of human fertility— I'll and tell you,
1: friends, here's what it was. What was here's it? Here's what it was. You were around a really cute baby. I was? Yeah. Who? And what was I, it? It was at your, at your TOB course. Oh. And yeah. <laughs> and just something got stirring. It did. I and do. Yes. It's funny that happened to the husband because that certainly happens to the wife. Yeah, it
0: happened to, to me. And I was realizing this could be our last chance. Yeah. And we prayed and discerned and it became clear to me that the loving thing of me for you and toward you was to abstain during the fertile time because it was, yeah, it was very clear as we put that out into the light, it would not be a loving thing for me to expect you to carry a child at this point in your life. And we won't need to go into all the reasons. yeah They were personal. (laughs) Don't need to share that with the whole world, but it was a, yeah, it was it was a, another point of needing to discern. And that's a good thing to to be in a position where you need to discern and to take that responsibility. Be not afraid to take that responsibility before the Lord. And don't don't put that responsibility on somebody else's shoulders. It's on yours.
1: Mm. Our next question is from Jessica.
0: Hello, Jessica.
1: Now, um, this is a side comment from me. Okay, It's interesting that this question is in our podcast today. You didn't know it, and you still don't know what's coming, but it, it relates to something you said earlier in this very episode. Okay. So here you go. Here we go. I don't understand the thesis statement of TOB. How is the body the only thing capable of making visible what is invisible? Christopher always talks about how other things, i.e., A Cinnabon? A good beer? (laughs) Are sacraments of invisible realities or foretastes of the beatific vision? Can you please explain how the body is the only thing capable of making visible, invisible divine realities?
0: Sure. Well, Jessica, you clearly have been paying attention.
1: Yeah.
0: And I like that. That's really cool. Thank you, Jessica, for paying attention. Yes, I love Cinnabons, and yes, I love a good beer. And all of creation is sacramental, meaning all of creation is a sign, a physical sign, that reveals a spiritual and divine mystery. When John Paul II uses the body in this sense, when he says the body and only the body is capable of making visible what is invisible, the spiritual and the divine, he's using the body in a a broad sense of that which is physical. You know, we speak of planets as heavenly bodies. Mm.
1: Uh,
0: That would be one example in English. Uh, Other languages, it's clearer. becomes less clear in English because the word body is so often referring to the human body. But a tree has a body. Uh, A squirrel obviously has a body. A, A rock is a kind of body. Body refers to physicality in a in a very broad sense, and mm. I believe that is clearer in other languages. Um, but there is a specific sense of the human body here in the thesis statement, and we could put it this way, that all of creation is sacramental, but the sacramentality of creation, meaning all of the bodies in creation, whether it's a planet, a tree, a star, a rock, a... Uh, a squirrel, all of the bodies in creation culminate in the human body because we are the crown of creation. So that's, so the sacramentality of creation comes to fulfillment in the sacramentality of the human body, mm. and the sacramentality of the human body comes to fulfillment in the sacrament of Christ's body. See how he we went from sacramentality to sacrament, mm-hmm. right? Sacramentality is, is a broader word than sacrament. Sacramentality refers to how all physical things reveal spiritual and divine mysteries in one way or another, but sacrament refers to the seven sacraments that really and truly not just symbolize but really and truly convey what they symbolize. They really, the fancy word that theologians use is efficacious, right? Sacraments are efficacious. They're truly effective in communicating what they symbolize. Christ's body really and truly communicates the divine because he is a divine person and the body is the revelation. The body is the communication of the person and Mm -hmm. Christ's person is divine. So the Eucharist becomes sacrament of that divinity. So again, sacramentality of creation, all the bodies that are created reveal the invisible mystery that culminates in the human body, because we're the crown of creation, and the sacramentality of the human body culminates in the sacrament of Christ's body given up for us.
1: I kind of see this beautiful progression, I'm just going to say it in my own words, of looking at like when St. Paul talked about that we were without excuse in not knowing that there is a creator. When you just look at what God has created. That's a great insight. That's like kind of the foundational, the the visible reality of the world reveals the invisible mystery.
0: Right. That's Romans chapter one, straight out of the Bible.
1: Um, So that's like the basic the body communicates. And then we have in, in all of TOB or so much of it is reflecting on the very specific revelation in human bodies, and they're called a the communion of the divine mystery of communion of persons. And then we, the next step is Christ the bridegroom giving up his body for us, and we experience that receiving his body. So I I just love that progression. Amen,
0: amen, amen. You just summarized the whole Bible, Wendy, whether you knew it or not. There we go. You just took us on a tour from Genesis to Revelation, (laughs) from the marriage in the Garden of Eden, the earthly paradise, to the eternal marriage in the book of Revelation. There it is. Thank you, Lord. Jessica, I hope that is an answer to your question. And again, I really liked your question. Tickled me, because I can tell you're paying attention. Hey, if you know somebody who needs to hear what you heard in today's podcast, you know that little share button, Mm. click that share button and help us get this podcast out to a wider and wider audience. We're so grateful for our faithful listeners, and we're always hoping that we can reach somebody who doesn't know about Theology of the Body, doesn't know this great gift that John Paul II has given the world for such a time as this. A world that has gone mad and is almost complete, no, I I think you can actually say it, completely blind Mm. to the meaning of masculinity and femininity and why we are male and female, what that even means. We're blind to it for such a time as this. We've been given John Paul II's teaching. Please click that share button and spread this message to people who we all know need it we all need to know who we really are we all need to know that we are indispensable that we are irreplaceable that we are unrepeatable in our bodies and through the gift of redemption we have the grace to
1: become what we are
0: Ask Christopher West is brought to you by the Theology of the Body Institute with music by Mike Mangione. Christopher and Wendy hope that the information provided is helpful to you, but remind you that they're not licensed counselors. If you're going through serious difficulty, a list of trusted counselors and psychologists can be found in the show notes.